You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. We sure appreciate uh, 1838 this morning and Miss Betty and, and uh, all of the beautiful singing today. Thank you for the opportunity to get away uh, last week with my family. We went to uh, Pigeon Forge area and uh, we uh, what did we do we hiked we walked around we napped we ate it was a glorious time and uh, had had a a wonderful time with each other and so it's good to be back with you today and especially as we're uh, nearing the the uh, celebration of Christmas this coming week Um, we wanted to turn back to Matthew chapter 1 here and finish the story that we started a couple of weeks ago uh, here in verses 18 through 26. So let's read those again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to to proclaim the glory of the coming of your Son, Jesus, and all that he has done for us. Thank you for singing it and, and praying it today. And now, Lord, I pray that as we hear it, we would hear it with fresh ears that you have uh, enabled by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we would receive your word and take them deep into our hearts and that your word would have a transforming effect on our lives. And I pray that you would use me today as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first decisions that uh, of a couple when they find out that they are expecting is to uh, decide a name for the baby. And uh, it can be kind of an emotional and, and uh, sometimes, you know, uh, agonizing decision, perhaps because uh, it's going to be a permanent thing that's going to, to stay uh, with the child. So most parents give a lot of thought to the decision, uh, perhaps considering family names, in their lineage of, of how that might uh, play into their, their decision, or may, maybe names with a specific meaning. 
uh, as an expression of what you hope your child will be uh, or do. And so some will look to even biblical names. Some will look to what is popular uh, for uh, names. I read this week some of the most popular names of 2021 were Olivia, Emma, Ava, and Sophia uh, for girls, and Liam, Noah, Oliver, and Elijah for boys. And I thought it's interesting, one particular article I read talked about how that positive names, positive names are trending upward. And I got my curiosity, and I wanted to know what the positive names were. So maybe these are some ideas for you. Teddy, Buddy, and Bear. And then Gigi, Pixie, Coco, and here's my favorite name that's trending upwards right now, Baby. And I thought to myself when I read that, I've heard a lot of people naming their cat, Cat. But I've not heard of anybody that I know of who named a baby, Baby, before. But apparently that's a, that's a thing. And all of that reminded me of a particular time in my life and my wife when we had to name four babies at one time. And I remember the multiple trips to the doctors, they would always say, Baby A, Baby B, Baby C. Baby D, you know, that's what they called them. And uh, so we had quite a time uh, determining what we were going to name uh, the children. And so uh, after quite a bit of discussion, we, there were some names that kept coming up that started with the letter L. And since we already had a Lindsay L, we thought, why don't we just pick L, okay? And we'll just go with our favorite names from L. I'm sorry to my children, there's nothing more significant to your names than that. <laughs> Other than we got tired, and we picked a letter and went with those, those names. I guess every child has uh, some kind of story, maybe, behind it that gives it special meaning. And uh, even if the story just is your, your parents got tired of trying to figure it out. But the very fact that Matthew begins uh, with a lengthy genealogy uh, tells us something about the importance of first century names in, in the particular time in, in, for a first century Jew. Uh, Luke, in the, gospel, in the story, in his birth narrative, uh, says that there was quite a stir that was created when Zechariah and Elizabeth named their son John. Uh, we re read it in Luke 1.59. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. That's what they would have called him. But uh, his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And, and then we're told, and they, and we're not exactly said they, but maybe community, people around, they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. So, that, so that apparently the neighbors were saying, well, well, John doesn't make any sense. Why would you name him John? None of your family's named John. Uh, and so I'm sure perhaps there were family pressure as well. I mean, how could you slight family tradition? But the reality was John was the name that the angel had given Zechariah to name him, right? A few verses before, chapter 1, verse 13, the angel said to him, that is Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So that's what they named him, John. Well, Matthew tells us an angel appeared to Joseph here in, in this dream and told him what to name the baby. Joseph, son of David, verse, this is verse 20, the second part. Joseph, son of David, do not 
Fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, God had chosen the name, which is interesting, again, because there's no Jesus in the genealogy in chapter 1 there, verses 1 through 17. There's no mention of of somebody named Jesus in the family history. Uh, But there was in the Old Testament... Yeshua or Joshua is the equivalent name, which means the Lord saves. You shall call his name Jesus, the angel said. So I want us to think about that this morning. What is in a name? What is in the name, and especially the name here that we're talking about? There are, the Bible's full of names for Jesus, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for those names and, and just my own devotional life, thinking about all that Christ is and what He has come. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. He is our Prophet, our Priest our King. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is called the Lord Almighty. He is the door of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, according to Peter. He is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. He is the logos, the word the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life. He is the bread of life who's come down from heaven. He's the water of life given to those who will will never thirst again. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the bridegroom, our beloved, our rock, our redeemer. He is the head over all things, which is this body, the church. And here, in, at this birth, Matthew says that his name is Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. What does his name teach us about him and what it means to relate and follow him? I want you to notice three things. First of all, his name reveals his authority, his authority over us. I think it's interesting, one of the first things that we notice in the story is that Joseph was told what to name the child. She will bear a son, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus. Usually, as we talked about, the parents choose the name. Uh, But not with this child, God is the one who supplies the name. Well, one of the commentators that I read raised the issue like this. Uh, You only have authority to name something that you own, something that's under your management. In other words, if you invent something, you name it. You have a child together as a couple, you name it. You you have the uh, authority to do that. But the angel essentially tells Joseph here that, Joseph, if you want to receive this child into your life, this child does not come under you. This child does not come under your management. You will be under his management. 
You will not be naming the child. He's going to be naming you, Joseph. He's going to have authority over you. It reminds us, again, subtly of what we said a couple of weeks ago, that Matthew's theme here is to reveal the coming of the king. He's revealing Jesus as one who, who comes with divine authority over us. Divine authority over every person in creation. And we talked about how his coming, he changed everything. He's turning lives upside down and inside out. And that no one is left unchanged, unscathed, untouched by the coming of Jesus Christ. He, he has come not to be shaped by us. He has come not to be shaped into whatever we want him to be. But rather he has come to shape us. In fact, he doesn't come into a person without doing so. He's Lord and King, and he has authority over us. One of the reasons people may be afraid to receive Jesus into their lives is because they are afraid of what they may have to change. What might Jesus ask of me if I receive him? And so they reason, you know, I'm willing to follow Jesus as long as it means that I don't have to do this, or if I don't have to believe this. I'll, I'll follow him under these conditions. But they don't want to be Christian for fear of what they might have to give up to follow Jesus. But you understand what you're trying to do when you have that mentality that you're trying to name Jesus. You're saying, I'm going to name him. I'm going to be over him. I want Christ, but I want him on my own terms. But, but you must understand that is never how Christ comes. Even from the very beginning, we see this, don't we? He's not come to be named. He is not under your authority, but you will be under His. We don't get to name Him. We don't get to control Him. He controls us. And so what this means is, is that when Christ comes to you and into you, you must die to yourself. You have to give up the right to say, I will receive Jesus into my life if... Uh, if, I can, if I can hold on to this sinful relationship that I'm in, if I can hold on to this sinful habit that I have, then I'll, I'll, I'll follow Jesus, or I'll follow you, Jesus, if you promise you don't call me to Africa or some, something like that. Because as soon as you say those things, you're acknowledging that you are your own king. And you're not willing to bow your life before this king, to submit your life to the king who is Jesus Christ. And I would also remind you in this, this is why it's much easier to buy into a version of Christianity that says, you know what, just live a moral good life. Just, just live a good life and hope that that's going to be enough. Like, kind of like Joseph, what he th said initially, I'll just do the right thing and I'll just divorce Mary quietly. It sounds such like great morality. I'll be the good citizen. I'll be the good Jew. I'll be the moral person. But I'm not going to let Jesus into my life for fear of what that might mean. You see, but it doesn't work that way. To receive Jesus is to give up authority over your life. And to give it to him. It is surrendering to his lordship. Joseph, if he decides to take Mary up as his wife, you understand what? He is giving up his life. He's laying it down. He will not name Jesus. Jesus will name him. And the rest of his life. Now Jesus would, of course, say this and say this much differently later on. Matthew 16, 24 
he said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, and you see, it's the only way. It is the only way Jesus will be followed. He will be king of kings and lord of lords in your life or he will be nothing. And so, as we think about Jesus' name, one of the first things we need to ask ourselves is, are we submitting to his kingship? Are we submitting our lives? And what parts of my life am I holding back from his lordship over me? From his birth, we're reminded that Jesus is Lord of all. But secondly, Matthew teaches us that his name also reveals his purpose for coming, his purpose for coming, and this is also very important. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus in the Hebrews I mentioned is Yeshua, meaning the Lord saves and so we're immediately drawn back to pictures of that, that time of Joshua in the Old Testament, the Israelites leaving Egypt and entering the land of Canaan. That is often pictured for us as a, as a way of thinking about our salvation, leaving Egypt behind, coming, crossing over the Jordan, coming into the promised land. And Joshua had been God's instrument to lead his people into the promised land. That was the picture of salvation. But notice the salvation that Mary's son would bring. Notice the purpose for his coming. What does it say? For he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew doesn't draw attention to it, but these words seem to be a reflection of Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. That verse pointed toward a redeemer and an act of redemption that would come out of God's steadfast love. This redeemer would bring plentiful redemption. Don't you like that phrase? Plentiful redemption? In the, in the glorious promise, this redeemer would redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Complete and total forgiveness. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why when someone asks, what's in a name, that when it comes to the name of Jesus, it means everything to us, church. The reason the birth of Jesus is such glorious news is that his, in His birth, God, in His life, God is offering the solution to our greatest problem, which is sin. You may think that there are more pressing issues in your life this morning. You may have all kinds of things that are burdening you and worrying you today. But I would tell you that there's nothing more important than this. That behind all of the brokenness in your life and my life is sin. Sin. Paul Tripp in his little Christmas devotional, Come Let Us Adore Him, explains the desperate condition caused by sin with five words five words. First, because we are sinners from birth, we are separated from God. That's the first word, separation. This is what sin does. It separates us from God. 
It separates us from the glory and purpose by which we were created to be in relationship with our maker, our creator, God. Sin also renders us unable. That's the second word, inability. Inability. Tripp writes this, Sin makes it impossible for us to think as we were made to think, to desire what we were created to desire, to speak as we were designed to speak, and to behave as God intended for us to behave. Sin has profound effect. In other words, it leaves us dead to righteousness, unable to live for God, unable to please Him. Third, sin has a blinding effect in our lives and leaves us in a constant state of delusion. That's the third word Tripp uses, delusion. We think that we know ourselves really well. We think we know exactly what's wrong in our lives. We think that it's this and that and we, we, we have it all figured out. We assess essentially that we are more righteous than we actually are. That we're not as in a, a grave a place as the Bible says that we are. That we don't need to seek the help that we so desperately need. We think all of our problems are external and very few are internal inside of us. And so we're constantly downplaying our sinfulness. But then on top of this, uh, this uh, there's something even more terrible. Sin doesn't just leave us separate from God. The fourth word is judgment. Sin places us under the judgment of God. Because we've rebelled against him as king. We've demanded our own way. We've said, we're going to make you into our own savior. We're going we're, we're to we're, we're do it our own way. And because of this, we're going to face judgment. This is what Paul labored to tell us in Romans chapters 1 through 3, which we looked at this past fall. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are facing the judgment of God. And no matter what you are worried about today... Uh, not to make light of those things, but there's coming a time when nothing will be more important to you, more significant to you than when you stand before the one who created you and have to give an account. And if you are in sin, you are in judgment. Therefore, the fifth word Tripp uses, the sin leaves us hopeless. He notes that since sin is a matter of the heart, a condition of our nature, it is impossible for us to escape it on our own. We're under its devastating effects all around us and its power, and yet we can do nothing to help ourselves. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Ephesians 2, 12. He says those who don't have Christ are having no hope and without God in the world. They have no hope. What a description this is. Sin leaves us in all of this brokenness, separated from God, unable, delusional, under judgment, and, and hopeless. But you see, it's against this great backdrop of that understanding of, of where we are that, that, that Tripp concludes with these words in his devotional. The beautiful news of the Christmas season is that God wasn't willing to leave us in this tragic and desperate state. That in all of this, God chose to give grace to those who could never deserve His favor. He chose to rescue those who could never help themselves. He chose to forgive those who had rebelled against Him again and again. He chose not to leave us in blindness, but to open our eyes. He chose to empower us to do what we were unable to do. And because He chose all of these things, He chose to send His Son 
You shall call his name Jesus, for here, here's the good news. He will save his people from their sins. How will he save us? Well, he lived the perfect life on our behalf. He died the sacrificial death in our place for our sin, and he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says, right from the beginning of his birth, he was born for this purpose, to save us. You see, but to receive him into your life, you have to admit that you're a sinner and in need of his salvation. Not that you've come in today and you've got a few things going wrong in your life and you hope that Jesus is going to turn things around for you or make something better or, or uh, solve something. No, that, that you are a sinner in need of salvation. This requires relinquishing of your pride. It, it requires that you admit that you're not just sick in need of help, but that you're dead in need of life. You're perishing in need of rescue. That you're sinful and you're you need a savior and you must accept this truth about yourself this is what repentance is it is agreeing that this is true of 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 me and it is turning from my sin and receiving jesus into my life who is now my king placing myself under his management his authority and so we should ask as we think about his name, does this describe what happened to you? Those of you who profess to be Christians. Does it describe what happened to you? Did you come to this awareness and acknowledgement of, of, of your sin and yourself and you, you, you laid your life down in humility and repentance before God? This is what it means to, to take Jesus into your life. And it's right here from the very beginning of his coming into the world. This is the message of Christmas. Not just his birth, but what he did for you and me. He came to save us from our sins. His name doesn't just tell us something of his authority, though, and his purpose or work. But it also reveals to us his identity. His person. The angel adds this, these words in verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who is this Redeemer who has come to bring salvation? Who is Jesus? And maybe even more so, how can a baby, how can a human be our Savior and accomplish this for us? Matthew tells us here in verse 22, doesn't he? Citing Isaiah 7, 14, he says this Jesus is none other than Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh. Of all the things Christianity proclaims, this might be the most staggering claim of all, isn't it? J.I. Packer writes this in his book, Knowing God. God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than... To, to lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. 
The more you think about it, he writes, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. So Matthew tells us this child was to have two names, right? His name is Jesus, indicating that he, what he came to accomplish, which is salvation for his people, but also Emmanuel, indicating who he was, who he is, God himself. Who brings about this glorious salvation? God is bringing it about, isn't he? Not man. God is doing this. Joseph does nothing. Mary has a passive role. God is doing this. The whole story is God is doing this from beginning to end. It is God who saves. And church, we should praise Him for this. How easy it is in the Christmas season with all of the hustle and bustle and all of the to-do list and, and gift buying and all of this stuff to forget this great gift of God to us. Perhaps William Temple said it best, all is of God. The only thing of my very own which I can contribute to my own redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. Our glorious and faithful God has done it all. And that's what Christmas is all about. How awesome and assuring all of this must have been to Joseph. Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife and Jesus as your son because he is called Emmanuel. God is with us. And church, how awesome it is to be able to say today with Joseph that God is with us. He's with us. This promise is repeated at the end of Matthew's gospel again. And as you know, the Great Commission, when Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is Emmanuel. For those of you who are grieving and lonely this Christmas, know this, that if you have received Christ into your life, God is with you. He is Emmanuel, and He promises to never leave you or forsake you. How comforting is that? How comforting is that truth? I think of the old chorus, um, well, I'm getting older, but it seems old to me. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. King and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Jesus. It's no wonder Matthew tells us, verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he, is repeated again, he called his name Jesus. Think about that response. Joseph heard the word of God, he believed it, and then he obeyed it. No matter what it cost him. 
And perhaps if there's anything uh, called to action in this text, surely it's this. What does God want us to do in light of the story of Matthew? What is, how does He want us to respond? Well, we, we should hear it and believe it. We should hear and believe, first for salvation, because whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? That's what the Word says. Only by grace through faith are we saved. So we should hear and believe, but for those who have believed, we must also keep believing this story. We we must keep reminding ourselves of who this Jesus is, what He has come to do for us, and to celebrate this and to worship Him because of all of this. And, and this reminder that we must obey Him at all, the, at all costs. We, we don't get to name Him. He names us. He has authority over our lives. He is, he, we are under His management as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is that your response this Christmas? And if not, why not? Why not today? Father, thank you for, for this story and all that it teaches us about your son Jesus. I pray for those today who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them as you reveal to them and open their eyes to see the, their sin and their need for you. May they turn from their sins and turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And for those of us who are already believing, Lord, I pray these truths would comfort us, Lord, that especially those who are hurting to know that you're with us, that you've done these great things for us and that you've not left us or forsaken us forsaken us no matter what's going on in our lives but lord may we not forget who you are and may we surrender turn from our sins continue to do that and to surrender our lives to you as lord we pray that you would have and do this work in our lives today and we pray it in jesus name amen let's stand together Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.